This is episode number 45 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health, and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of To Birth and Beyond. It's Jesse Mundell. And Anita Lambert. And we're looking forward to talking with our expert guest today all about prenatal yoga. After years on the stage as a singer and dancer, Deb Flaschenberg stumbled into the business life when she opened the Prenatal Yoga Center in New York City 16 years ago. Since that time, Deb has been the driving force behind the success of Prenatal Yoga Center in the role as the studio director. She has created a sought-after prenatal yoga teacher training, which she and her co-teacher trainer teach throughout the U.S., and is also the host of the podcast, Yoga Birth Babies. In addition to being a certified prenatal yoga teacher, Deb is also a labor support doula, childbirth educator, and mother of two. A regular contributor to the New York Family Magazine and Mommy Bites, as a prenatal and birth expert, Deb has also written for Mantra Magazine, Midwifery Today, Doula International, and Birthing with Confidence, among others. In April 2016, Deb acted as a presenter at the Yoga Journal Live New York conference. So thank you so much, Deb, for coming on. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you. It's fun to be on the other end of the podcast interview. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I am. So I originally found Deb a couple months ago only. I feel like it's been longer um, through her podcast. So as soon as I heard like the first few episodes, I was like, we have to have you on because we do have a lot of um, fitness professionals, but expecting new moms as well um, and a lot of yoga instructors. So I'm really excited for you to share your expertise today. Thank you. So can you share how you decided to dive into prenatal yoga as well as how your doula and childbirth education background affects how you teach yoga? Oh gosh, it feels like it was all intertwined. So I was teaching, um, it's kind of my dirty yoga secret, I was teaching Bikram yoga very, very briefly. <laughs> and very, very, very briefly. I did the training in 2000. Um, and during that training, I realized it was not the, the thing for me. I liked it in the beginning because I, as, I, as you mentioned, I was a singer dancer and the heat and the stretching felt great. But while doing the Bikram training, um, I just realized the, the person who taught it, uh, Bikram, um, Bikram Chowdhury just had, from my experience, um, not a lot to offer beyond his monologue. And I was soon very disenchanted and I wanted to find a yoga practice where I could individually see the people and use the asana practice to support their their physical and emotional being. And Bikram was not that. Bikram was very set in its ways. Um, I don't even know if it's around anymore since he's kind of running from the law. But um, so I was talking with some other teachers about 
just my desire to not have to follow such a script. And one of the teachers I was talking to mentioned pregnancy and prenatal. And this was, you know, almost over 18 years ago. And there wasn't a lot at that time. And so I decided to jump into that. And there was very few trainings at the time. So I ended up going out to Seattle and studying with this amazing teacher, Colette Crawford at the Seattle Holistic Center. And it just became a, a path that I never thought I'd be as passionate about as I am. I just thought it would be, you know, a different style of yoga that I can support people more on an individual basis. I had no idea that it become such a passion, like a true passion to support people's choices in pregnancy and support people's entrance into parenthood. So after I did my training, and this was my 20s where I had not even thought of having kids. I was still singing and dancing and none of my friends were having kids. Um, I just kind of hung a shingle and I'm like, okay, I'm going to teach prenatal yoga. And then I'm like, I'm going to open a studio. And it was within that first year that one of my students was doing her fellowship at a hospital in New York. So this is probably highly illegal what happened. She invited me to watch some births. She actually told people I was a med student. She dressed me in scrubs. Um, so I was just a civilian, you know, in these births. Where, and I'm like, it was a little invasive. Um, I was watching births. The first live birth I saw um, was like, I think a fifth time mother that the baby like marched out. Um, and then I saw um, twin vaginal birth, which I also realized is unusual. Like for my first roundabout there, I scrubbed in for a C-section. I didn't last that long. Um, and then I saw a birth that really changed my understanding of what birth was like. It was this very high risk situation where it was a vacuum extraction and the vacuum had already popped off twice. So it was, this was kind of last chance. And after that birth and the way that the parents are treated and the new baby was treated, something just clicked that the, what I was teaching was not enough and that birth in our country needed more understanding and more parent support. So it was because of that, I decided to become a doula. And then the doula work and then the childbirth education work just kept interweaving more and more and more into the way I teach yoga. It wasn't just asana and asana modifications anymore. It became a pillar of what PYC, the methodology that I teach. It is just the childbirth education is interwoven into class and has just as much of a presence as the yoga asana itself. So it, it casts a mix the way I see it. I don't think prenatal yoga should be taught without the support of understanding birth and empowering pregnant people to make choices and to learn more. So I feel like it's just this kind of mixed bowl of my background and the yoga and the childbirth and everything just hopefully clear to those that take the class, but it's very intertwined. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's amazing. I wish I wish there were more prenatal yoga classes like that, which obviously is why you've started doing your training to teach others, because I do see that's commonly missed, that it's just kind of the exercise or fitness component and maybe not in, intertwining all those other key aspects you mentioned. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of people show up to take childbirth ed and they're like, okay, these are my weekends or this is my day. Sometimes people take it like four hours. And I'm like, what can you do in that unless it's a private? And if we, and then they're so stressed and like, I have to take it all in. But if we can continuously introduce different themes and aspects of childbirth ed during a class, they can get a very rich experience and their guard isn't as up. Like, you know, they're not thinking, I have to take it all in right now. They can, I think they can digest it in an easier way. Yeah. So powerful. Oh my gosh. I love that. And hilarious (laughs) about you going into those births. So funny. Oh yeah, I was so I was so ill prepared when <laughs> when I scrubbed in for the C section. There was actually an administrative person like taking down all the doctors' names, and she started to write my name. Like, no, 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 I should not be anywhere, anything official, or is that? <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so funny. Can you talk to us about the benefits of yoga during pregnancy? So, as I mentioned, the the methodology I teach the the childbirth ed aspect is extremely important. So I teach basically from the methodology that we have the asana, which is the physical, and I can get into kind of how that prepares. And then you have the community, which is also a very important thing, which is the emotional part. Um, And then you have the childbirth ed, which is going to teach a huge amount. We teach in the childbirth ed part of the class, we talk a lot about coping skills and a lot about autonomy. And then I interweave that into the actual asana practice in the idea that I don't think that prenatal yoga needs to be kind of a watered down version of yoga. I think it can be, uh, we can have safe sensation. So I think some of the benefit is that we're not just thinking about, oh, what can my coping skills be? We're actually using those coping skills in an asana practice. So, you know, we can hold them in some pretty strong endurance poses that require the muscles. And so, that takes a certain amount of coping. And then, you know, those that know birth know there's a certain amount of surrender. So then there's the surrendering to the sensation, whether it be through endurance or stretch. So I think the benefits really can be very much on the forefront that we're learning the mental and physical coping skills. And then on a physical, just a purely physical level, the way I see how to pick the asanas would be functional movement for a functional birth. So that what are we teaching in the prenatal yoga that's going to create stability and balance in the bony pelvis and the pelvic ligaments and the uterus and the uterine ligaments and the pelvic floor you know, because a lot of the asana can be can be done by the pregnant body it maybe shouldn't be but are the poses that we're teaching are they benefiting the body so that the parent can have a smoother birth i hope that makes sense i feel like sometimes i'm rambling <laughs> no that totally makes sense So I'm imagining the classes that you teach and it's not like it's chopped up. We don't do yoga. And then at the end, we talk about childbirth education. It's all intermixed within the whole session. Yeah. So I start class with what we call circle time, where I go around the room and everyone says their name and how far along they are and their aches and pains. So that I, you know, anytime I'm working with the body, I need to know what's in front of me so I can attend. And then I'll put him in a bit of a restorative pose. And during that time, I think about what did I hear from the people? And then I can kind of create where we need to put the focus of class. And when they come out of that, that's when I introduce what I call my Dharma talk, my little theme for class. Like yesterday's theme, um, you might, might have seen this. There was an article recently floating around. I think it was in the New York Times about the shape of the pelvis and how um, different 
places, I think the average pelvis that we think of for birth is more of an Eastern European pelvis. So it's wider left to right, as opposed to sometimes pelvis are wider front to back. So I brought that up in relation to there's no right way to birth, but that we need to help the baby rotate through the pelvis. So I used that idea as we looked at different asanas or movements that could be good for birth. So yeah, we interweave it through. And it's also a vinyasa style practice. So it's very um, breath aware and breath and movement combined. So it's pretty flowy. And I feel like the breath is so important for labor as well. So I'm sure, I mean, I love doing prenatal yoga here and I know my instructor is going to hear this episode and she's going to want to do your training as well. She, she weaves a lot of it into, and a lot of the pelvic floor side to it. Um, And I just think it's so important. And I love how you talked about, because I'm pretty sure, yeah, you've had Gail on in terms of from spinning babies. Gail's probably. Yes. She's amazing. We love her. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So like, I love how you talk about like position of baby. Like, why don't we generally think about that more in labor? So I think getting your students to already think about that ahead of time already gives them such a step up that when they're in the moment, them or their partner or whoever's supporting them can already start kind of thinking of those positions. It's surprising Mm -hmm. to me how few care providers talk about fetal position. I mean, I remember being at a birth and I, and I had already talked to my client a lot about like fetal position and she was doing body work and they were just the, the care provider was doing, um, a vaginal exam and also palpating her belly. And she was at least five or six centimeters. So they could at least feel the suture lines on the baby's head. So I'm like, you know what, where's the baby's spine? What position? And the doctor said, all that matters is the baby's head down. And I felt like the biggest idiot because I had already put so much emphasis on fetal position. And then it was just dismissed. Mm-hmm. So frustrating. Is it? <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Yeah. You've kind of already touched on it. But if you could sum it up for us, what do you think the difference between yoga for general population and yoga for specifically in pregnancy? The general population, I don't think they're considering the outcome of the birth, you know, because right now I'm actually teaching an online course called Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi that is for the general population and a pregnant person in that open level class. And it's for that, it's more about just safe poses. But I think and specifically for pregnancy, it should look at the whole picture, whether it's a vaginal or surgical birth. We want to try to encourage people to advocate and have their voice heard. And I don't think that happens in an open, you know, in a general class. I don't think people think about that they have a choice in how they want to birth and that their care provider is working for them, <laughs> you know, that they can question and they can ask when someone I actually just had this conversation with a student yesterday that her care provider is really pushing her for an induction and she was originally told she could have 11 days before induction and they're doing it at eight because of the weekend and scheduling and she I told her said you know at your care provider ACOG says that the care provider has to talk about options and has to talk about risks versus benefits and I don't think that's something that we often think that we can do. You know, we hear our, our care providers say something we're like, oh, yes, absolutely. I'll follow that. So I think in a general population class, like an open class, you're not you'll still do the asana. But I don't think you get that extra oomph of confidence and 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 encouragement to use your voice. Mm-hmm. 
And I know with um, a lot of our listeners who are pregnant, everyone, there's low risk, there's high risk mm-hmm. um, in terms of factors involved. What would be some high risk um, pregnancy situations that you wouldn't recommend prenatal yoga or maybe if they're high risk, they could actually still do prenatal yoga? Some high risk like placenta previa where the placenta is covering the cervix. Uh, we have modifications for that because sometimes we have full coverage of the previa. Sometimes it's just partial, sometimes slow lying. We would want the student to share that with us because we wouldn't do things. We do this abdominal toning exercise, this transverse abdominal toning, but we wouldn't want the student to do that because it's putting pressure down onto the cervix and we wouldn't want to put pressure of the um, placenta on the cervix. So something like that we could modify. They wouldn't do um, the ab work. We wouldn't do any deep pelvic openers where we're putting pressure again on the cervix. Um, but a lot, so that you could do. But something like preeclampsia, if a student came and said they had preeclampsia pregnancy, uh, high blood pressure, um, pregnancy induced type blood pressure, that I would not want. That's pretty serious. That, And we've had that. I've had people in class um, with that. And sometimes they don't even know, like, you know, if you see a student enough and then all of a sudden they show up and their face is looking really puffy. And I've had that where they're complaining of headaches and flashy lights and feeling horrible. Um, you know, I've, I've sent people lovingly away. Um, you know, more about me. I'm like, Oh, I'm probably, you know, bones out of proportion, but it would be great if you could check with your care provider. And then, if they do have preclamps and not coming back to class, that would be inappropriate. Um, we've had high risk in the fact that we've had, you know, I don't love calling this high risk, but um, where they say like uh, older birth and older pregnancy <laughs> could be considered high risk. But here in New York City, um, the average age that we see is 35 plus. So a lot of the people in their late 30s, early 40s are considered high risk, but I don't really consider that high risk in the studio. Um, we've had twins where some people might say high risk, still always welcome. Um, gestational diabetes, some people may say high risk, always still welcome. So the one that I really rule out is preeclampsia. Um, that's just, that's dangerous. And they really need to be under the care of a, a care provider, not, not my watchful eye, because that's not my place. Um, but for the most part, we can we can modify things. That's amazing, Deb. And I we talk about that so much too on on many of our podcast episodes. Is just being able to modify and keep people moving in pregnancy for as long as they want to, for as long as they feel good. And that mm-hmm. I think is so it makes yoga so accessible to so many bodies in pregnancy for movement. And that's mm-hmm. such a great thing. Yeah, we can even do certain ones. Like if someone's on bed rest, you can still do certain things in the bed. So, and cause then they, they're much more muscles are atrophying and they tend to get depressed. They're feeling isolated. So anything, and even if you think about like, if someone's heading in for a surgical birth, that is all internal in their head, they're going to be by themselves for a little bit. So we want to give, even if it's not asana practice, it could be pranayama, it could be meditation. So yeah, we want to make it as accessible for everyone, however they can use it. So cool. Can you share with us some tips with our prenatal yoga or general yoga instructor listeners of when it comes to teaching pregnant people? What is specific to those people, different cues, etc.? Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of different cues. All right, let me just go over a few. So as I mentioned, I think it's again really important to create balance in the body. So not overly tightening the body, specifically the pelvic floor 
the abs and the psoas. So we can think about, let's think psoas first. So we know it runs behind the uterus, kind of cradles the uterus. So it's going from T12 to the lesser trochanter. So we can think of so many of the asanas that are very tightening for the psoas. We want it to be supple, kind of a juicy muscle so that it's not torquing the uterus in any way. So that's a psoas. So let's talk then also about a little bit of the pelvic floor and the abs and the bony pelvis, again, coming to that idea of creating balance. So if we have poses that are creating imbalance in the bony pelvis, say like warrior one, Virabhadrasana one, I'm sure a lot of our, a lot of the listeners uh, can visualize that. When you have something like Vera one, the pelvis isn't very square. You have one side tipping more posteriorly and one side tipping more anteriorly, if you can envision that. So that can create some imbalance in the sacrum. So when the sacrum's imbalanced, the whole bony pelvis can be imbalancing, and that's going to create a problem for baby rotating through. Then we're also creating some torque in the bony pelvis. So the ligaments, there's, I believe there's six major ligaments attaching from the uterus to the pelvis. So if the pelvis is imbalanced, that's going to, again, pull on those ligaments. So again, we find that intrauterine constraint where the uterus is being pulled out of alignment. Um, and then there's so many poses that there's a lot of jerky, swingy movements. Like one common cue is from down dog into a lunge forward, or they lift a leg and swing it forward. If you can visualize what that's doing to the pelvis, you know, it can jerk it out of alignment or with, because we have all that relaxin. Um, and the progesterone and the, est and the estrogens, everything's getting softer. So again, we're getting things jerked out of alignment. So we want to really think about when you're teaching in a general population class, being mindful about not having these jerky movements, not creating imbalance, um, not overly engaging the pelvic floor. There's so many yogis that just hold Mula Bandha forever. Um, we want, I like to think of the pelvic floor, and of course, you guys are the ones that will definitely speak more on this. You know this. The pelvic floor needs to be bouncy like a trampoline. It can't be like in yoga. It's so engaged by so many people. My, my teacher, Leslie Howard, estimates about 40% of yogis have an overly engaged pelvic floor. That's not going to be so great for birth. That's <laughs> not going to be go so great for supporting postpartum. So we need to be mindful of not always cueing engage Mulabanda, which I would suspect most people don't really know what they're doing. Because um, if you read the yoga text, Mulabanda is more about an energetic lift as opposed to squeeze everything you can and just hold it tight. Um, and that also goes for the abs. When people are often squeezing anything in the pelvic floor, the abs are often co-contract. And that's not so good for baby. You know, if babies eventually, the weight of their head pulls them head down, most babies, I think it's like three or 4% do not go that way. But if the abs are so restricted, then that can create a problem um, with baby coming into uh, a phallic position head down. So I think we need to be mindful of recognizing the change that needs to happen in the pregnant body and encourage our, our students in an open level class, that change needs to happen and to maybe be a little softer. And coming from, a, a, you know, I've been doing yoga for over 20 years. I'm going to put myself in the category of experienced yogi. It's hard. It's hard to let that ego go and that practice go. You know, I was extremely proud of that practice. And at, you know, when I was pregnant with my first child, I should have been softer and it turned to problems with my body after. 
So I wish someone had told me, or maybe they did and I didn't listen, um, <laughs> or emphasized the necessity that the body needs to change and we need balance, not just this hard body that we're so used to seeing. Um, I also think instructors need to think about um, intra-abdominal pressure. You know, when we hold the breath and put that pressure on the abdominal wall, it can really weaken the linea alba. That's that connective tissue in, in the rec, you know, between the rectus abdominals. And when that weakens and thins out, it can cause pelvic floor dysfunction, which again, you guys could talk on and on and on about. Um, because there's a lot of poses, like when someone holds plank, for example, oftentimes they're holding their breath if they don't really have the structure set up well. So that can create more harm than good. And then, of course, we want to know, like, not to overly twist or deep backbends. You know, a lot of these poses, the body can take the shape. We just have to think, should it be taking the shape? Yeah, no, I love that. And I love how you talk about balance because I grew up as an athlete and a dancer and everything is always pulled in and tight. And so when it came up to my first birth and being, you know, in this area of physio, and I talk to my clients all the time, like you need to release, even if you've never done prenatal yoga, maybe it's not your thing, but even taking, like I'll give some of my clients who don't necessarily want to do a class, some simple like poses they can do at home with some breath work. Cause I agree going into birth when all you know how to do is tighten is not necessarily going to serve you at least during the birth process. Yeah. It's probably the ending yeah. hinder. Um, I mean, in hindsight, as a doula, I saw clients that had the mental stamina to keep going but because because I'm, I remember being a younger doula and seeing this where like I'd have like a weightlifter or a marathon runner I'm like you've got this you've got this and then I'd be like these births are taking forever and again as I grew into that role of a doula and understood more about the body I realized that they were so engaged that baby wasn't well positioned and it wasn't until and the two I have in mind, it wasn't until they took an epidural at 30, 32 hours that it actually served them that their pelvic floors could relax and baby was able to rotate and descend downwards. So, yeah, I think we're so much in a culture about, you know, overdue, keep doing, pretend you're not pregnant, except that cute belly and the big boobs, <laughs> and, you know, keep persevering forward where, yeah, I think softening and, and balance um, is highly uh, disregarded where we should put it more on a pedestal. All of this. And it's so important for so many of our listeners to hear because they are in the exercise realm, strength trainers and athletes, former athletes. And what you mentioned about that epidural situation, I think that that was, that would have been my experience in my first birth. And I like to tell people this too, to just drive that point home of needing to release and relax and, uh, learn how to let tension go because my labor was so long and I think it resulted in an emergency c-section but I think if I had have not been so resistant to an epidural I think that perhaps the outcome of that birth would have been different and I'm totally at peace with how the birth went now but just looking back it's so interesting to consider just how much tension and how much engagement I was holding in my body and just it does affect labor and birth. Oh yeah. I look at my first birth and it, you know, it turned out long and fine. Um, but my body was trashed from it. Um, it, I think it was very similar. It's funny how many, uh, yogis I hear and just exercise people I hear that 
think that, you know, they have the mental stamina, but then their birth is so long because our bodies are so tight. I mean, I was crazy and I was spinning literally I was in my spin clothes the day my labor started and I'm like well if the contractions go away I'll make the 10 o'clock class instead of the 9 a.m class and then I wonder why it was 42 hours and five hours to push them out and and in hindsight you know had I had the situation the pain never was until my water broke the pain wasn't so overwhelming but I do think it would have served me and I'm going to say it on, you know, on out there to have it had an epidural. And even I, I always wonder how to see, would a C-section have been a better birth because my abdominals and pelvic floor took such a beating from five hours of pushing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's the way, you know, I, I didn't prepare how I should have and my body took the brunt of it. My second birth, totally different. <laughs> Six minutes of pushing. Yay, second babies. <laughs> so it sounds like you had a different preparation going into both of them. Oh, holy crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I never got back on the spin bike until recently. I took a huge break. Um, I saw body workers. I worked on pelvic floor balancing. It was amazing that the PT I worked with post-birth of my first child, gosh, that taught me so much. It like changed the whole way I approached the asana practice. So in a way, I'm thankful that I had that learning experience. I just wish I didn't have to go through it. I wish I could have just learned it another way. Um, But it really created a passion for me about let's look at what we're doing to our bodies before pregnancy and during pregnancy to help have a more functional birth that it hadn't been so uh, prevalent and in my head before my own dysfunctional birth. That really was what nailed at home. Like, I don't want other women to have to have that. And so you've been sharing like so many tips and um, awesome advice. Can you share a bit about your specific prenatal yoga teacher training? Because it does sound different than maybe some other traditional prenatal trainings that are around. Yeah, I'm so proud of it. I have to say, I'm so proud of it. Um, I've been doing it, I think, 13 years. And I think three years ago, um, my co-teacher trainer and I took it on the road. So what we did is we created a membership website. So most of the manual has corresponding videos. So we released that website to the teacher trainees a month ahead of time. And they start, they get their manual and they start to read the, they start to read the manual and the books. And it's a ton of homework because I'm all about essays to make you think. Um, and then they watch the videos and then we meet, Oh, I do a webinar, um, in that month also during like two weeks in just to touch base with everyone. And then by the time we meet, they've already had a chance to digest a lot of the information. So then we do a very long weekend. I just came back from the Charlotte training, which is like 32, 34 hours. Um, so that's module one and two we meet for, for the first weekend. Then they have another month to work on module three and four. And we do the same then, Um, And during that time, they have to take a childbirth education class. They have to observe classes. So it's very childbirth ed heavy um, and very anatomy based. The first module is (coughs) all anatomy. So if they can understand the anatomy, it's then from that perspective, we can start to look at asana. It's not just memorizing lists. They can then have that foundation, look at a pose, be like, why would that be helpful? Or maybe that wouldn't be helpful. Um, yeah, so we've been doing it all over. Um, gosh, I can't believe how many I have. I just finished the New York training. That was September and October. 
Charlotte is November and December. There's a few spots left for Richmond, Virginia for January, February, and then only four spots left for our spring training back in New York in March and April. And then I'm pretty sure I'm just doing a mentorship in New York for the summer, unless something else springs up. (laughs) That is so cool. You're setting the standard for sure for prenatal yoga teachers. I love that. Yeah. How many times a year do you teach? the course, the teacher training? Um, so this year, there's four. There's the two in New York, fall and spring, and then the two traveling ones. Um, I'm going to probably just stick to four to five a year because uh, they're, they're starting to pile up. Like I just finished correcting all the exams. Oh, so at the end, they do a three-hour written exam. So I just finished correcting the New York exams. Now I'm watching their classes. And I just started the Charlotte one. So I have to finish the New York classes because the Charlotte ones are going to be coming up. So it's a, it's a lot, but it's wonderful to bring the prenatal um, this intensely to different communities around the country. Can you share your resources for expecting people to learn more about prenatal yoga and preparing for birth? Sure. So, um, well, my website's prenatalyogacenter.com. Um, I've got a blog that I've been writing for probably 12 or 13, 14 years, something like that. Um, I've got some online videos, um, the podcast, Yoga Birth Babies. Um, those are the ones that I use a lot. Um, and as we mentioned, one of my favorite that I send people to all the time is spinning babies. I think that just has such juicy information for people to dive into. Those are some of my favorites. Um, and anything else, Deb, that you wanted to discuss or talk about anything we didn't cover today? Uh, I just really encourage people to remember that this is their birth. And that it imprints on their life and it imprints on how they share birth with their children and how their children are going to perceive birth. So as best one can, find a support posse so your care provider should be aligned with your beliefs and that you have a right to say no and that you have a right to bring the people that are best going to circle the wagons around you so that you can birth how you need because it it's not just something a means to an end. It really impacts people. And oftentimes when I'm teaching the training and people have had their births, maybe haven't really processed it, it comes back up and it's there. So if we don't work through it, it's going to come up at other times. So as best you can support yourself. And then at the same time, there's a certain amount of surrender. We can't control everything. We can best prepare and get our people with us, but then get on the roller coaster and go for the ride. Amazing. Thank you so much, Deb, for all that information. We know a lot of listeners are going to be basically going to all your resources that you mentioned. And I'm sure we have a lot of instructors who are going to take your course as well, because it just sounds very holistic. And a lot of those pieces that might be missing from other courses. So thank you so much. We know how busy your schedule is. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. It's truly a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 